Welcome to the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Chalmers, a shoulder and elbow surgeon at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Rachel Frank, a sports and shoulder surgeon at the University of Colorado in Denver. Rachel, how are you? Doing well. Thank you very much. How are you? Doing great. Before we get started, I should mention that the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeon Society, the University of Utah, the University of Colorado, or the institutions of any of our guests. Today, we have the supreme fortune to be joined by Professor Pascal Boileau. Many of our listeners will know Professor Boileau, but I'd like to briefly introduce him. Professor Boileau is the head of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery and Traumatology at Pasteur II Hospital, also known as, as Chunis, in Nice, France. He came to Nice after completing a fellowship with Professor Dujour in Lyon and completing a traveling fellowship in the U.S. through Sofcott and, and Sesek. He serves in multiple roles at Chunis, including the Vice Dean of Research, the Head of the University Institute of Locomotion and Sport, the Head of Outpatient Surgery, and a member of the Executive Council. He served as the President of, President of SESIC and has too many awards to count, including the NEAR Award. He's been a pioneer and innovator within our field for decades, and his contributions include the design of the Equalis implant, his technique for the arthroscopic latergé, and countless others. He's published over 300 articles and has been to nearly 500 conferences and is an invited speaker. He has been the chair of the Nice Shoulder Course since 2003, which is attended by over 600 shoulder surgeons from all over the world and is internationally recognized as one of the best meetings a shoulder surgeon can attend. On a personal level, I can say that the time I spent with Professor Boileau when he was kind enough to have me as a visiting fellow was among the most transformative periods of my thinking about the shoulder. Professor Boileau, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very, thank you very much, Peter, for this very kind uh, introduction. and. Uh, Hello to uh, to Rachel as well. I mean, I'm very pleased to be with you today, uh, and I hope uh, we will have a, a chance to to speak about the, the the new format of the knee shoulder course. So, Professor Will, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a long time, but now is a particularly propitious time because I know that right now the knee shoulder course, which requires years of preparation, and as you were closing in on the finish line for 2020, COVID-19 hit. And you've had to make this huge transition to virtual. So tell us, how has this transition impacted your planning for the meeting? Yeah, you're, you're perfectly right. I mean, uh, as you know, this meeting uh, occurs every other year. And uh, we were almost ready uh, because the date, the initial date, uh, dates for this meeting was uh, June uh, 4, 5, 6. And uh, then in March, uh, the, the country here was uh, hit by the by the COVID, uh, as uh, everywhere in the world. And uh, at first, I wait. I wait for a few weeks uh, to see uh, if things could be better. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the, things didn't get better. So I had to take the decision. So the first decision that, that I took was to, to postpone the course to early July. But then... Uh, after a few weeks, uh, we realized that uh, we, we will not be able to, to do the course in his uh, traditional format because of uh, uh, nobody would be able to, to travel. And uh, so that's, uh, I had two options. One was to just abandon and to uh, make it uh, next year. But uh, next year, normally, it's a NC meeting, so it would be a pity. And... Uh, to be in competition with the NC meeting we, with Laurent Lafosse, we always try to make uh, NC one year and Nice the other year. 
And there is also the Paris meeting. There are too many meetings uh, next year, so it was not possibility to postpone to next year. Two years from now was too far away, and the program was done. The speakers were uh, uh, okay; they were ready. There were many very uh, interesting topics, so I took the decision to um, to, to to organize, to try to organize uh, the the initial course in a new format, which is a, a virtual meeting, but a, a virtual and interactive meeting. Because my my our goal was really that uh, people would be able to participate. We, we didn't want to do just a, a classical webinar. We, we wanted to really do a meeting where people could uh, interfere, uh, ask questions, participate uh, uh, almost live. That's the story of the, this uh, new uh, format for the new shoulder course. Well, thank you for that. And Professor Boileau, we know that the NICE course is famous for its live surgery, which is incredibly educational for everyone attending. And um, I think one of the highlights of the meeting, it's performed with surgeon moderators. How are you going to replicate this virtually? Are you still going to have moderators? And if so, how will that work? Of course. So we, we, we could not do, uh, we could not organize a real live surgery because uh, we didn't know if uh, we would be able to operate and to recruit the patients at the, at the time of the meeting. So we, we, we have organized real life surgery. So it's going to be a format of 20, 20 minutes for the, the surgery, which, which is enough time to uh, comment the important steps of the procedure. And uh, then there will be, uh, in the meantime, the, so the, the surgeon will, will comment the, the, the video, the, the, life, the real life surgery, uh, uh, and we'll be able at the same time to answer to the questions uh, uh, from the from the web. So uh, uh, altogether, it's 30 minutes uh, plus 10 minutes at the end to to answer really the questions or to debate with the with the moderators. So it should be a very interesting format. For instance, uh, Laurent Lafosse will uh, demonstrate again uh, his technique uh, with the uh, arthroscopic latargé, and uh, he will be able to. To, to show all the tips and tricks and all the the, the difficulties uh, that he has he had to face and that he has solved, and uh, people will be able to, uh, uh, to to interfere and to ask questions uh, as well as, as the moderators for this session of uh, live surgery. There will be many others uh, uh, live surgery. Uh, Marcus Scheibel, uh, for instance, will demonstrate how to. Uh, to do an arthroscopic AC joint uh, uh, repair for acute and chronic cases. Uh, um, Mark Frankel will demonstrate how to do a, a reverse prosthesis with uh, his technique. Uh, uh, Joachim Sanchez Sotelo will uh, show us how to do a, a APC um, prosthesis. I mean, uh, pro Processes composite uh, reverse processes for uh, bone loss, humor bone loss. So many, many uh, very interesting uh, topics. Uh, uh, Jean Cani will uh, show us how to do um, an arthroscopic uh, uh, latissimus dorsi transfer. Uh, so there are many, uh, many options uh, for, for the people who, who would like to attend this meeting, this virtual meeting. Well, certainly it sounds like you guys are going to have... Um... A great number of different live surgeries. Certainly, that that lineup sounds sounds incredibly intriguing intriguing to me. 
Um, and I, 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 it sounds like you've worked hard to still involve time for discussion. Uh, when I attended yeah. the Mutual, of course, one of the things that I found the most fascinating was that you, you had many roundtable discussions. We'd have a controversial topic, international experts, and then there would be a discussion. And there's always, of course, disagreement, you know, maybe a case discussion. How are you planning to replicate that virtually? Uh, that's, that's a good question. The, first of all, I, I have always tried to, to, to make short talks and to keep enough time for the discussion and controversies. And it's true that in Europe, we are more controversial than uh, in, the, in the US, for instance, where uh, everybody uh, try to be very, uh, very kind on the podium. Here in Europe, people sometimes are uh, more, uh, a little more, uh, I would say, aggressive, but it's, it's uh, on the it's a kind of aggression. I mean, it's not something uh, bad, uh, but at least it, pushed the, it pushes the, the, the people, the speakers, the surgeons to, uh, to really tell the truth, and uh, and 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 uh, that's uh, that's why we we like this format. So we will try to do the same, and uh, it all depends on the the choice of the chairman or uh, uh, or chairwoman, and uh, it all depends on the balance between the, the the speakers that you put, the topics that you put, and the 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 the, the, the chairmen that you choose for this uh, kind of debate. But I mean, uh, we will try to. Uh, to replicate this, uh, although it's virtual, and the point, uh, because this will be live. I mean, the discussion and the, the question will be live. Uh, actually, the format is that um, what we have chosen to do is that uh, we could not do the entire meeting uh, during three days on the, on the net. You know, it would be too long. Nobody would stay um, hours in front of the of the computer looking at or, or listening at that. So what we decided is that. We would do five hours of live session, and we choose we choose to do this between uh, 12 a.m. and 5 p.m. because this gives the possibility for uh, all uh, America, uh, North and South America, to be present. It's early in the morning, and it uh, it allows as well all the people from Asia uh, to be present because it's late in the evening or early. Uh, uh, it's uh, late in the afternoon or early in the evening in, in, uh, on the east side of the world. So the five hours will be between 2 a.m. and 5 p.m. Uh, French time. Uh, and it will be early in the morning in USA, in, uh, in Argentina, Brazil, and uh, uh, late, evening, uh, uh, late afternoon and evening in, in, in Asia. So normally people will be able to, uh, to be present and they will be able to... Uh, to, to ask questions through the web to the to the participants and the, the 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 chairman have accepted to be present during these three days for five hours uh, if they are on the podium for a for a, a real life surgery or for a symposium or for a case clinical dis, uh, discussions you have to make the balance between the the moderators and for instance when you have someone like uh, Christian Gerber on the as a moderator. Uh, this is sure that <laughs> there will be uh, some uh, debates because he is very good at pushing people uh, on the on their boundaries. <laughs> well, it certainly sounds like you're doing everything possible to create an atmosphere for great debate. And um, you know, I, I think it's it's nice that you're thinking about not just the population in Europe being able to attend the meeting even virtually but also around the world and trying to accommodate different times that might work for the most people. So that, that's really thoughtful. And I think, I think the attendees of the course will really appreciate that.
you know, one of the aspects of every major meeting has been the involvement of industry to help fund the educational efforts. And with any virtual meeting, we're sure that this has been a major challenge. Um, and the transition with a virtual meeting certainly is financial because it costs money to, to use the platforms and to put on such a meeting. How has the transition to a virtual platform influenced the involvement of industry, not necessarily with this meeting in particular, but how do you see this influencing meetings in the future? So uh, it's a very good question because at first I was uh, worried that the industry uh, partners will not participate uh, to this kind of uh, meetings because they will not be interested. But um, uh, we, we have to realize that uh, uh, actually, if they don't participate to this kind of meeting, they don't get access to the surgeons or, or it's very difficult for them to get access to the surgeons and to present their uh, portfolio, their new implants. And uh, so um, finally, I was very happy to uh, to see that uh, most of the companies, not all, but most of them, at least many of them, uh, did accept to uh, participate to the initial course, to the virtual initial course. And the reason is that um, we have tried to make them happy by uh, providing them a platform. Uh, and I want to talk about that. Uh, we, we do this uh, with a, a company called BMED. And BMED has, uh, has uh, built uh, all the environment, uh, the virtual environment of this meeting. And they, they've built a, a plat platform for the, for the industry. So the industry will be able to make their own workshops they will be able to organize their own webinars uh, and we encourage them to do that. We encourage also the surgeons who, who work with some companies to, to stimulate the companies to, to, to tell them uh, uh, to participate to the NIST course because there will be room for that, there will be time for that and there will be a, a very uh, good possibility to show their, their uh, products. And uh, as you know, uh, the, the NIS uh, shoulder course actually is going to be the only, uh, probably the only shoulder meeting until the end of the year, uh, if uh, the situation is not better. So it's it's a good a good opportunity for them to be present to still uh, show that they are still alive, that they are still working, trying to do the to provide the best uh, instrumentations, the best implants for for surgeons, and to 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 to, to uh, promote their uh, key opinion leaders uh, so that they can do uh, webinars and, uh, and, and this kind of things. So uh, again, uh, I want to thank the industry and I, I think uh, for those who have not decided yet to participate, it's still possible to do it. Well, certainly it sounds like it's gonna be a great meeting. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons why this is so interesting is because this may, you know, we, we, we have a lot of meetings that will probably transition to virtual. And it sounds like some of the lessons you've learned as you've tried to work out how to make that transition have been that some parts of it probably should still be live so we can still have discussion. And that involves working through timetables and figuring out what time is it in different places for people that may want to participate live. And um, I certainly appreciate all the, all the thought it sounds like you've put into it. One of the great aspects of a transition to virtual is that more people theoretically could attend without having to make that trip. So for our listeners who might not might not have otherwise been able to make the trip but might enjoy the content virtually, what are the details if they wanted to sign up for this meeting? So it's very simple. They go uh, on the uh, on the on the web and they they, they look for a nice uh, shoulder course. Uh, 
uh, com, and they can uh, directly uh, register. Uh, and uh, what is important is that um, uh, the price is very low, especially for the young surgeon. It's only 150 euros. Uh, it's 450 euros for uh, the, the surgeons, senior surgeons. But I mean, for this price, they get the three uh, days of live uh, meetings, you know, with five hours each day. And they get access to all the other talks, uh, which are we call these talks on demand, uh, because there are many, many very uh, nice uh, talks recorded uh, by speakers where they present their work. And this will be uh, accessible to uh, all the participants. And of December, uh, this will be uh, accessible to, 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 to these people, to these participants, to these surgeons. And uh, it's a nice way to, uh, to, 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 to keep, uh, be uh, informed and to, 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 to continue to study uh, because you can, uh, for instance, listen to, uh, to Gilles Valch, to, uh, to uh, many surgeons uh, giving talks uh, and which are recorded and uh, that you can access when you, when you, when you uh, re register for this uh, meeting. Professor Boileau, you've been running this course for 17 years now, and so this next question might be a little challenging just given all the memories, but can you tell us a favorite memory or two from the course over the last 17 years? Uh, yeah, there are many, there are many. I mean, you, you know, the, 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 the nice thing about this, this course, first of all, is that it's international. So, for instance, last time we, we had the more than 900 uh, participants from uh, 65 countries, if I remember. And so seeing these uh, people coming from uh, all over the world and uh, sharing their knowledge. And uh, so it's uh, the, the, the good atmosphere that I've tried to, uh, to, to, to give to this course is that uh, it allows to, to, to see old friends and to make new friends. Uh, but uh, if I can uh, remember one good memory, it's, uh, uh, for instance, uh, Buzz Burkhead uh, singing and uh, dancing uh, with the uh, Brazilian uh, dancers on, uh, on, <laughs> in a restaurant on the, on the beach in Nice after the, after the meeting. And it was really uh, completely crazy, but very funny. I mean, uh, as you know, Buzz Burkhead is a very good singer. And uh, uh, it was really fun because everybody was dancing with him at the end of the of the of the party so that's one of the, the souvenirs that i can share with you that's that's a truly amazing story i have to imagine that live surgery can also be unpredictable i know you've done a lot of live surgeries for the meeting over the years can you tell us a story of a time when things went not quite exactly as the surgeon has anticipated and how your team maybe addressed those challenges <laughs> yes uh, live surgery is always challenging uh, because of technical possible technical problems because of possible uh, surgical problems as well <laughs> because the surgeons who operate uh, are not uh, at home so it's, uh, it's not easy to to do but uh, usually we don't have problem you know gary gartsman has operating knees uh, uh, of course laurent lafos gilles valch uh, many many surgeons have uh, operated and these guys are uh, are are very uh, very good first of all but they are very quiet and if there is any problems they can manage and uh, we are here uh, with them to help to 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 manage uh no there there is no 
no real problem that we have to to face we we have been trying to to be very uh, uh accurate with time uh, because it's important to stay in time uh but uh i mean uh, all the surgery went went well and there was no i don't remember any um, problem with uh, with this kind of surgery there is a debate actually in france i don't know if it's like this but uh, some surgeons uh, say that uh, life surgery is not uh, acceptable that it should not be done uh, personally i i believe i do believe that uh, it should be continued because uh, it's a good way to 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 really show what you're doing and to teach surgeons I mean, uh, we never take any risk for the patient. The patient uh, accepts the, the, the deal, I mean, to be, to be filmed during the surgery. And I mean, uh, uh, and anyway, the, the surgeons who is in place, uh, in this case myself, I take care of this patient because I'm, I'm with the surgeon who is uh, operating. And I, I will, uh, of course, uh, make sure that every, every, everything when will, will go fine after the surgery so the I mean, all the uh, everything is done uh, like uh, uh, for a normal patient, and uh, the fact that uh, it's done live uh, doesn't change anything. The the, the patients are, are still very well treated, like they would be uh, normally. I mean, yeah, certainly. I th I think that it's a um, a great thing for a meeting educationally. So I I couldn't agree with you more that it it's it's something that's very valuable uh, as an attendee to the meeting. We've I can tell you for um, the shoulder course that my partner runs here, the um, advanced shoulder arthroplasty course, they looked yes. into this. Could we have surgeons come here to the University of Utah? And we were not able to get surgeons uh, privileges here and um, are from a medical legal um, liability yeah. perspective in the United States. I think there are too many challenges, which I think is a shame because I'm sure that surgeons would come and do a great job taking care of patients. And I think there are patients that would be fine with that but um again we may maybe we have a different environment here that doesn't allow us to do something that you're doing there that i think is probably really valuable for all the people who attend your meeting but i think that's a shame in this country to be honest yeah yeah but and and you're right and, and as i told you there is a debate actually going on in in, in europe and in france uh, especially uh, about the uh, the, the the possibility to discontinue this kind of life surgery but uh, fortunately the the french orthopedic society uh, has take over this problem and uh, uh, they have made sure that this will be able to continue uh, at least in france i certainly hope they that that continues and they don't vote or decide to cancel that i remember my first live surgery meeting experience and as a young surgeon, I was a resident at the time, it was not only incredibly inspiring to see the surgeons with such confidence to be able to do this and do it well under a little bit more potential pressure. Although I think everyone treats all patients the same. And so you want to treat them whether you're doing it live or doing it on a regular OR day, but just incredibly inspiring to see what surgeons can do at that level and execute technically uh, perfectly and also stay on time, as you said which can sometimes be difficult if you get bleeding or get, you know, problems with anesthesia or any other complication, let alone the language barrier. So, yeah, I agree. I, I, I hope that this continues and it would be great one day to have this in the U.S. But if not, we'll just have to continue, you know, attending the meeting either live or watching via the virtual format. Um, as we transition a little bit away from discussing the meeting, you know, one thing that both 
I, Peter and I certainly recognize, but I'm sure everyone in shoulder surgery and really orthopedics recognizes is that you've been an incredible innovator in our field. Just incredible. I mean, the things Pete mentioned at the beginning are only a few of your accomplishments and innovations within shoulder surgery. What has been your source of inspiration? What kind of gets you started and, and going with all of this and what continues to inspire you? Uh, you know, first of all, I think there is uh, some uh, genetic that you, you have. And I have, I am used to say that, uh, you know, my, uh, my grandfather was a carpenter. My, my father was a butcher, so I could be only an orthopedic surgeon. So that's the first thing that, uh, that I, I can say that, uh, I have seen my, my, my father working. I have seen my grandfather working with wood, my father, uh, working also with a di in different fields. But I mean, so I'm, uh, I've been used to, uh, to, to, do, to do that, to help them, to, uh, to work with them as a, as a child, you know, and uh, that's the first thing. So it gives you idea to innovate, it gives you, uh, uh, and then the other thing is that um, when we started with the shoulder, we were really, you know, uh, in a new area, which was not explored. So it was just fascinating because, uh, when I joined uh, Gilles, Gilles Valch in Lyon, uh, the, the shoulder uh, surgery here in France was really uh, in the early uh, years. Uh, we were late compared to the USA. In the USA, you had already uh, had the big names like uh, uh, De Palma, Carter Rowe, Charles Nears, uh, Kahneman, of course. Uh, but here in France, uh, the, the level of surgery was lower for the shoulder. And uh, the levels of technology also was much lower. I mean, uh, uh, the only prosthesis that exist at that time was the, the near prosthesis. And there were some French and European prosthesis, but uh, not working very well. Uh, arthroscopy was really uh, a beginning and uh, very in the early stage uh, here in France, where it was more advanced in, in, in the USA. So uh when we started we it was you know it was like going in the in the jungle and uh, trying to make a path uh, through the through the all the, the vegetation <laughs> there and uh, it was just fascinating to uh, to try to find solutions uh, also the arthroscopy helped us to discover the pathology you know uh, uh, the arthroscope is just uh, putting an eye uh, inside the shoulder and looking uh, what's going on there and uh, try to to relate uh, the, the, the symptoms, the clinics, uh, the uh, clinical examination with what we were finding, finding inside the shoulder. So it was a really an area of uh, final things. Now we have to face also, uh, uh, you have to, we have to find solutions uh, for solving some problems, uh, of course, instability, but cuff repairs. Can you imagine that uh, when we when I started the uh, arthroscopic surgery, anchors did not exist. I mean, the, the first anchors, metallic anchors from MyTech, the G2, came in the early 90s. So it's uh, it's 30 years ago, but uh, it's not so far away. And uh, for instance, the first stabilization procedure that we were doing was the Caspari technique or the Morgan technique, which means we were using transglenoid sutures to fix the labrum and the capsule. We didn't have any anchors at that, at that time. It seems crazy, but it's true. So, and also for the arthroplasty, I mean, we were very, uh, very uh, early in the stage and uh, we could not reproduce the anatomy. Uh, that's why we work on, on this subject. 
And then came the reverse prosthesis also, which was a, a kind of revolution that we have to explore to, to validate because uh, uh, Paul Gramont, in fact, uh, died too early to validate himself this concept. And that's, this is what we try to do uh, here in, 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 in Europe. So it was a, it was a very uh, exciting travel that we made through the shoulders. And uh, I'm still, I'm still uh, as you can see, I'm still passionate and I'm still, I'm still uh, happy to do what I'm doing because every day I, I'm still uh, learning. Um, when I came to visit you, you, you gave me some advice that was actually really impactful on my thinking on uh, how, to be a, how to be a good surgeon and how to, how to be a, an, uh, a leader in the field. One of the purposes of the podcast is to try and engage young members of the ASCS. Um, my hope is that you could give a, share some of that advice. What advice would you give to a young surgeon who may be listening to this podcast about how to be a good doctor, how to, how to contribute to the field, um, and, and, and how to maybe experience some of the success you've experienced? So what I could say that um, uh, to be a, a, a good doctor, uh, you, must, uh, you must stay a good doctor. You, you, you must not at all become a technician. I think what I try to teach to my fellows, to my residents, is that when you, when you started in medical school, what do you want to, to, to be? You want to be a doctor. So today, today, stay a doctor. It means, it means don't try to, to become a technician because politicians, administrators push you to become a technician because a technician can be replaced by another technician. However, a doctor cannot be replaced by another doctor. Each doctor has his own power. This is, this is called the medical power. This exists. It means that patients respect you. And if you want that patients uh, respect you, you must treat them well. You must treat them as anybody of your family, first of all. And then you should not be concentrated on, uh, on the technique. I mean, the technique is, is the easiest part to get. You know, it's, it's level one. I mean, there are two other parts, which are the tactic and the strategy. And as I used to say, uh, surgery is the only job, you know, where you need three major qualities in the same person. In the army, they have three different persons to do that. They have the simple soldier, which is a level one technician. They have the colonel, which is doing the technique, it's level two. And they have the general, which is uh, doing the strategy, the decision. In surgery, the surgeon must be the three persons in one. It means you should be a strategist. You should decide at the clinics if you are going to operate these patients, yes or no. And if you don't, you have to explain why. And if you do, you have to also explain why and the risk that you are going to take together. And you have to explain how you are going to avoid the risk, etc. Then you have to become, a, you have to be a tactician. You have to explain how you are going to do this operation and why, again, which approach and why. And, and finally, you have to be a, a technician, which means a simple soldier, but that's the easy part. And uh, I think the, 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 most of the surgeons don't realize that. Uh, we should not stay level one, which means a simple technician, but being a colonel and a, and a general at the same time. And I think this is very exciting because there is no other job like this, you know. Certainly an aspect of life right now that has impacted surgeons, not just young surgeons, but surgeons at all stages in their career is the COVID-19 pandemic, of course. 
In the U.S. and around the world, as we all know, elective surgeries were put on hold for a prolonged period of time and now are gradually starting to ramp up in most practices in universities and hospitals. How are things for you in France right now? And what do you predict moving forward in your practice over the next few months from a clinical perspective? So uh, elective surgery has, has started again, but it's very slow. I mean, uh, I, actually, the, the, the administration the, does not allow us to, to, to do our regular uh, amount of uh, cases that we are used to do. They are, all, they are still expected a, a second wave. Uh, but I mean, uh, this should not, based on what I know, this this would be a, this should not uh, happen. Uh, so it's very difficult at the moment to uh, to uh, to operate uh, uh, like we were used to do. For instance, in my in my uh, department, we have cancelled one thousand patients in the next in the two months, two and a half months of the COVID uh, period, and we have uh, a lot of difficulty difficulties to try to schedule their uh, their procedures because we are uh, we have no slot you know in the program and uh, I think it will take many many months uh, before we, we will able be able to come back to a normal situation so that's one point the other point is that it, it uh, this 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 on the positive side this uh, covid uh, has uh, pushed us to uh, be more innovative regarding the way we, uh, we, we, we do the clinics. You know, we can uh, do uh, clinics through the computer, at least for the patient that have been operated. And uh, there are many things that we can improve. And uh, the positive side of this uh, pandemic is that uh, it has uh, just uh, pushed us to, uh, to do a better job and to use all the modern tools that, that, that we have uh, with the computers, you know. Well, Professor Boileau, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking some time to speak with us about your meaning and about uh, your career and um, your, your experiences. I know that right now is a very busy time for, for you, and I, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time with us. Personal thank you um, for me to you for everything, um, you know, for your willingness to have me visit, and then also for um, your, your support since then um, and um, for the work we've been able to do together. I am um, also um, thankful from the perspective of the AACS that you're willing to come on our podcast because certainly I think our listeners will be very curious to hear everything you, you shared with us today. Um, so thank you uh, from our perspective. I really appreciate it. Thanks to, to both of you and uh, thanks to, uh, to all my uh, American friends. I mean, uh, on the surgeon uh, at the SS, uh, we're going to miss the meeting and uh, I think we will have a chance to meet uh, in person uh, soon and to, to be able to shake our, our hands and to give a, a hug together. And uh, thank you very much for this uh, kind interview. What a thought to be able to shake hands again. I know we all uh, can't wait for that opportunity to get back to a little bit of sense of normal, have that next meeting um, where we can interact in person. And um, But until then, we'll have to enjoy the virtual format of your meeting and others and uh, you know get used to this new normal, so to speak. And at that point, this is about all the time we have for this podcast. We want to thank our guest, uh, Professor Boileau, so much for taking the time to be here with us. And for all of our shoulder and elbow listeners out there, please don't forget to subscribe. For Peter Chalmers, I'm Rachel Frank, and we'll see you next time.